Right, the Bible reading is from Romans chapter 6 and verses 15 through to 23. You'll find that on page 915 of the Church Bible and in your leaflet, and you can follow it along on the screen. Okay, so beginning at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time when the things you are now ashamed of, those things result in death? But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Youth talk, year six to eight. You can head down the back with Kez. For the rest of you, having your Bible open at Romans chapter six would be a very helpful thing. You'll also find a sermon outline on the white piece of paper uh, that may be helpful as well. I want you to imagine that uh, you're looking for a job and uh, as you go through the classifieds one day or maybe online, you see a, a wanted ad. Wanted Slave. Job requirement? Give up all rights to self-determination. Be prepared to submit yourself to the will of another to work for their agenda completely. Be prepared even to be owned by that other and surrender not only the present, but the future. Now, I know for many of you, you think that's, that's the job I'm doing, actually. Uh, but slavery doesn't have a great appeal. Does it? Not many of us would willingly sell ourselves into slavery. Not any of us, I imagine. But if you go out into our community and you take a poll of people uh, who aren't Christians, often what they perceive about the Christian faith has a lot in common with slavery. And they're right. Maybe for you as a Christian, how attractive is it for you to think of yourself as a slave? Of all the different images that you can have in Scripture, all those different descriptions of your status, of who you are in Christ, how close to your heart is the idea that you are a slave of God? The idea of slavery, I think, cuts right across our culture. 
And some of us might be even sitting there going, actually, Cameron, you preached from the start of Romans 6 last week. And in chapter 6, verse 14, it says that we've been set free. We've been set free from sin. We're not under law, but we're under grace. Surely that's freedom, isn't it? And on one level, we're right. But on another level, we have to acknowledge that the Bible is unequivocal that Christians are slaves, that Christians serve another, that Christians are owned by another, that Christians' present and future are determined by that other. Now, before those of you who maybe aren't Christians think, yep, totally right, I've got it, I'm free, you Christians are slaves, can I just say, the Bible is clear that everyone serves. Everyone serves. Look at verse 16 of chapter 6. Paul's arguing with the Roman Christians. He's not arguing with them, he's presenting his argument to them. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So Paul basically says, the one that you obey is your master. And you've got two options here. You've got God, you've got obedience, and a bit later down in the passage you've got righteousness. That's all lining up, all pretty much the same thing. You can be a slave to obedience, to righteousness, to God, or a slave to sin. But you might be thinking, actually, I'm not offering myself as a slave to anyone. I'm free. That's not true. Everybody serves. There is always something in your life that calls the shots. There is always something that is number one in your heart. There is always something that is the touchstone, the touchstone that determines what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, what is what is the priority that your life should take? Why can you determine that you're going to do this and not do this? There is always something that gives our life that shape, that gives us significance, that gives us security. Now, if you've been around Trinity Hills for a while, you've heard me talk about this kind of thing, but from the angle of worship, there is always a God on the throne. You may be an atheist here this morning, but there is always something that functions in your life, in your heart, as that number one. There is always something that calls the shots, and that is God. Whether you call it God, whether you think of it as God or not, it is functioning as a God. Paul here is just changing the metaphor. And instead of talking about gods and worship, he's talking about masters and slavery. But just to show you that these images line up in Scripture, if you look in 1 Thessalonians verse 1, when Paul here is talking about the Thessalonians becoming Christians, he says, the people around you tell of how you turn to God from idols, and the word here is literally to serve as slaves the living and true God. 
Paul here is talking worship language, God language, idolatry versus the one true God language. And he's using the language of slavery and servitude. You have one master. It's either God or something that is not God that Paul puts under the umbrella of sin. Something in opposition, something in rebellion to God. You have a God. It's either the real God or like Thessalonians tells us, it's an idol. We all serve someone. Now, I was rebuked by Simon Potter at the earlier service for not mentioning Bob Dylan at this point. Is anyone a Dylan fan? You're not. I could get away with it at this service. Some of you are so young, you don't even know who Bob Dylan is. That's right. Bob Dylan tells us you've all got to serve someone. It could be God, it could be the devil. You've got to serve someone. But it's true. This is the biblical picture. Everyone serves something. It's funny, Jesus confronts some of his disciples in John chapter 8. You might know the story. And he says to them, if you hold my teaching, you're my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You might be familiar with this story. I find verse 33 just baffling and quite funny. Quite tragically funny, actually. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slaves to anyone. They just don't know their history, really, do they, very well, like... Babylon, Persia, Assyria, Greece, and and now the Romans. Uh, But they're asserting we have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say then we shall be set free? Do you remember Jesus' reply? Very truly I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus is actually saying whatever is happening politically is actually not important. It's what's actually happening in your heart. And you're either a slave to God, you're either serving God, worshipping God, or you're a slave to sin and worshipping that and working to that end. You've all got to serve someone. And if you are on the train, the train that chapter 5 talked about as in Adam versus the train that chapter 6 talked about in Christ. If you remember the illustration, trains tend to have the same destination every single time they run along that track. I used to get on the train at Pimble Station, and then it used to go every time for seven years when I caught the train to school, Pimble, Taramara, Warrawi, Warunga, Waitara, it never varied. This train, this In Adam train, chapter 5, this slave to sin train, chapter 6, where's its destination? Paul says, inevitably, those who are slaves to sin, death. But you might be thinking, okay, but at least I'll have fun on the way. At least I'll have a party on the way. Let me say that who you serve affects your life now, not just in the future. I want to show you a video, introduce you to a guy, uh, his name's Christian Hosoi. Now, I'm sure you all know him because you're all skateheads, aren't you? Yeah? Okay, I'd never heard of him either. Kez brought him to my attention. Uh, But this guy in the 1980s was one of the two guys who brought pro skating into prominence. 
Uh, as If you were a skater, this guy is as close to God as you can get. Uh, he was a complete legend. In the early 2000s, he ends up in jail uh, for narcotics. Uh, and we're going to see part of his story just now. We're the outcasts. We're the rebels. We're the ones that people thought were troublemakers. We had a passion for what we love to do, and that was just to skateboard on anything. Tricks were coming every single day. There was another trick being invented. Huge errors. The attitude was skate and destroy. That was it. I got introduced to skateboarding when I was about seven or eight years old, and that was it for me. From that day on, skateboarding became my life. When you're told you're really good at that age, you really just take it in and you start just becoming what they tell you you are. And that's what I, I became. I became, you know, just like my idols. I was smoking weed. I was doing acid. This is like 10 years old smoking weed, 12 years old doing acid, 13 and, and 14 years old starting to do uh, cocaine. I was living in Hollywood. I was VIP everywhere I went. I was the youngest kid at the clubs. I was the, had all the girls. I pretty much had it all. But inside of me was dying. See, I was searching for love everywhere. I was searching for it in money. I was searching for it in fame. I was searching for it in skateboarding. Personally, I was like a bucket full of holes. I was searching for it in girls. I was searching for it in, in everything that the world had to offer. Every time I filled it up, it would just drain out. And none of it satisfied me. And it was just this never-ending cycle. I was empty every single time. One More later. I was empty every single time. My life was like a bucket full of holes. He had everything the world would consider worth having. And he realized that it was actually empty. He was searching for love. He was using all those different things. Searching for significance. Searching for something that only God could give. Lord Jesus, he said to people, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is speaking about serving other masters. And he's saying, if you serve other masters, not just to use Paul's words, they lead to death, but in the present, the masters that are not God will leave you weary and heavy laden. They will not deliver, they will demand, they will enslave you. Many of us might know the actress, Dame Helen Mirren. Now, as far as successful actresses, she's pretty much it. She's one of the greats. This is what she said in an interview. She said, I wake up in the morning sometimes wanting to retire from my own ambition." Let me go, I say, let me go. Please let me go. Haven't I done enough? Proved myself enough to myself. Can't I be left in peace now? 
Why am I still eaten up with envy at what everyone else is doing? Why always the continuous anxiety, the worry, the one eye over the shoulder, wondering what's around, worrying who's been offered what? God, I wish I wasn't like that. I would give anything to know what satisfaction feels like. If anyone has reason to know what satisfaction feels like, has reason to say, I fulfilled my dreams, this person, Helen, Helen Miram, and she's there going, I would give anything to know what satisfaction feels like. Can't I be left in peace now? Why has she got no peace? Why does she have no sense of satisfaction? Ultimately, because she serves a God who enslaves rather than the God that frees. Because we all serve. The key to our freedom is who we serve. And the gospel tells us that God has freed us. So you remember there are four great images that describe the work of the cross. So the gospel is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It has implications for us. Okay, and it uses words, big words ending in shun. You remember these ones? Justification, propitiation, reconciliation. And the one that's relevant for us this morning particularly is the idea of redemption. This buying out of slavery. And for Israel... When was the great Old Testament moment of redemption? Do you remember? Egypt. The Passover and delivering the Exodus was that great act of redemption. Being delivered out of slavery for what? For the promised land, for God's people, for peace, for prosperity. But look how God describes it in Leviticus 25. The Israelites are my slaves. They are my slaves that I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord, your God. The Old Testament tells them that Israel could be slaves to Egypt or slaves to God. And the New Testament tells us, Romans 6.18, you have been set free from sin. That's our exodus through the gospel and have become slaves to righteousness. There is no third option. And God liberates us, he redeems us through the gospel, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Not to just set us free and say, oh well, live your life and I'll see you at the end. But that we might serve him. We might be slaves to obedience, slaves to righteousness, slaves to God. Slaves in a way that the Bible talks about as freedom. Now, some of you might be surprised to remember that this is actually an Anglican church. And as an Anglican church, we have things called prayer books. You remember those? Um, Not that you see them very often. Uh, They are there. They just appear on the screen. You just don't realize it in quite the same way. And there's an old prayer that was written and it said, it speaks to God whose service is perfect freedom. God enslaves us to himself. He becomes our master. 
He calls us to obey, but that is what we are made for. That is freedom. But you might object, because that's not how our world understands freedom. Let me give you an illustration. This represents freedom. Yes? When I was travelling up through the Northern Territory recently, you see this. This is a speed sign. And if you've never seen it before, it's not hard to unpack what it means. It means go for it. No limits. That's how we think of in terms of freedom. No restrictions, no limits. Do whatever you want to do. But that's not really how freedom works. Because freedom is not the absence of limits. Because that just doesn't make sense. No matter how hard I tried... Not that I did, but if I did, 300 kilometres an hour isn't going to work, either because the car's not going to get there or I'll be dead when I try and go around a corner. There are limits. It just doesn't work. Now, is the fish out of water? Is it free? Is it there going, yay, that water that just constrained my life for so long? No, that's stupid. The fish is made for water. The, the water is the right place for the fish. Now, how's Thomas feeling at the moment? Thomas is feeling very sad. He's not there going, I've been liberated from those tyrannical tracks. He's there going, I'm stuffed. How do I get back on the track? I can't do the accent, but anyway. The fish is made for what a Thomas is made for, the tracks. The right limits are the best. Go home. Get the lawnmower. Give yourself a haircut. See how it goes. You're free to try it, aren't you? But that's not how lawnmowers really work. Yeah, Sean. Hmm, okay. <laughs> I'd expect a few more scars, maybe. I think you'd lobotomize yourself with a lawnmower. But it is. It's not the way it's actually meant to work. Lawnmowers have particular purposes, and we have a creator who created us for relationship with him. And freedom is when we have the right constraints, when we serve the right master, not no constraints at all. We have been re-railed. We've been put back on the right track. That's what the gospel does. It's like a crane that picks us up from that slavery to sin leading to death and puts us on the track that is a slavery to God, a slavery to righteousness, a slavery to obedience that leads through holiness to eternal life. And that is the inevitable destination for those who are slaves to God. It says it there in Romans 6, verse 22. You have been set free from sin. You've become slaves to God. And the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. It's a railway track. Which train are you on? Which master do you serve? Are you in Christ or in Adam? Do you serve sin or God? Because in Adam, slave to sin leads to death. In Christ, slave to God, slave to righteousness leads to eternal life. And that's not just a future thing. That transforms the present now. Because you remember Jesus' words? Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. What's he say? I will give you rest. And he doesn't just mean heaven. He means now. 
because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice Jesus doesn't give him an option to not bear a yoke. We all bear yokes. We all serve someone. But Jesus' yoke is the one that we were made to bear. It's a yoke that Paul describes as being under grace. What's that mean? It means that unlike Helen Mirren, I have nothing to prove. I don't need to validate my existence. I don't need to justify myself. I don't need to be good enough for me, for you, for anyone. Because in Christ, God has declared me righteous. I don't need to be good enough. You might know Madonna. I thought, she's looking a lot like Hillary Clinton. Aren't they the same? Anyway, what's what's Madonna say? She says, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. Madonna, whatever you think about her music, you wouldn't say she's had a mediocre life, yes? This is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being through her own achievements. But then I still feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. She is worshipping a God of approval, of acclaim, of fame. And unless everyone is saying how wonderful she is, she feels ordinary and mediocre and worthless. There is a temptation for us to still have those gods on the shelf. To have the gods of performance, the gods of beauty, the gods of friends, the gods of relationships, the gods of families, the gods of work. You can keep adding these things that tell us that we are worthwhile human beings. Madonna is there saying, I still have to prove that I am someone. She recognises and she says at the end of the interview with Vogue magazine, my struggle has never ended and I guess it never will. Madonna's struggle can end if Madonna becomes a slave to Christ. Helen Miriam can have peace if she sees that it's not her performance that matters. It's Christ's performance and she puts her trust in him. You can have peace when you realise that your value does not depend upon how you look, whether you have lots of friends, whether you're getting A's, A-pluses, 99.9s in the TERs, whether you've got titles before your names, degrees after your names, a wonderful family, a great marriage, all the things that we build up to build ourselves up, they will enslave us. But it is the one who became a slave for us, the one who gave himself for us, who gives us a status, gives us a security that the world can never touch. I want to play another part of the video where this guy has been sent to jail 
And in jail, he turns to Christ and he talks about it now. And it was like all the guilt, all the pain, all the hurt, all the shame just fell off my shoulders. And I was like sitting there knowing that I was moving into a whole new, new realm. And it was living for Jesus. And I came alive. And I started just getting so, like, excited about life that people were like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I'm free, I'm free. And um, they were like, you're, you must have bumped your head, Christian, because look at those bars right here. You, you're, you're in prison. And I said, no. I said, I was in prison my whole life living in sin and death to coming into a prison cell and accepting Jesus into my life and saying, I make you my Lord and my Savior. And in that place, I became a free man. It was like all of a sudden I went to prison and got free. And my objective was to love people. My objective was to, to, to pray for people. My objective in there was to be changed. Because I knew one day, I knew one day that I was going to be released. And I knew that I knew that I knew I'd be sitting right here telling you my story about how God has changed my life because I said, come in and be my Lord and Savior. experienced every level of love that the world has to offer and there is no love like God's love my name's Christian Hosoy and I am second you hear what he said I've experienced every kind of love that the world has to offer and there is no love like God's love there is no master who, while enslaving us, gives us true freedom. Now, you may actually look at the passage, Romans 6 and guess you go, Cameron, Paul's got a bigger thing here. And it was the same thing he was talking about last week. This whole, what is our attitude now if we've been set free from sin, set free from the law, if we live under grace, how do we regard sin? And so I do want to address that just briefly. I want to address it by showing you a picture of the Berlin Wall. Now, some of you may not actually remember that there was a time in the 13th of August, 1961, that overnight, East Germany and the Russian uh, overlords surrounded West Berlin with a wall because people kept on escaping from the east to the west. The wall was 3.6 metres high. It encircled the city. Razor wire bunkers, observation towers. And you can go now, I think, to Checkpoint Charlie. And there is a museum that details escapes from East Germany into West Germany. Over the wall, through the wires, tunnels, tightropes, hot air balloons, ramming the wall with a train even modified cars, all sorts of ways to get from communist east to democratic west. 
what you will not find is one story of people going from democratic west to communist east. And that's Paul's logic. That's why Paul is actually saying, Christian, why would you go back to sin? Why would you have a loose attitude to sin? Why would you say that sin doesn't matter? Why would you go and enslave yourself by being obedient to sin? And he's got three things, three things that he drives home. He says, firstly, it is not who you are. Verse 18, you have become slaves to righteousness. When you were a slave to sin, you were free from righteousness. Now you're a slave to righteousness you are free from the power of sin. Why would you go back? That's his first point. Second point, it wasn't any good anyway. Verse 21, what benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Why would you want to go and do those things? Why would you want to jump back into the sewer that was the sin that Christ redeemed you out of? You're ashamed of that now. You recognize that those things enslaved you and they they would have led you to death. So why would you go back? What blessing did you receive? Sin leads to death, but God's gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at it there in verse 23. The wages of sin is death. The things that sin deserves is death. The thing that sin earns is death. But the gift, the blessing that is ours, is eternal life. So why should we hate sin with a passion? Why should we run a mile? Why should we strive for holiness? Not to earn God's favour, but because we have God's favour. Not to become his people, but because we are his people. Not to receive his love, but because we have his love. That is what the gospel does. Paul says, remember who you are. What benefit did you reap? And remember what he has given you. And so as we live each day, as we live under the light yoke, as we live as slaves to righteousness, slaves to obedience, slaves to God, what what should we do? Never leave grace behind. Never forget your salvation. Never let it just get ordinary. Never let the Lord suffer Oh, it's just bread, it's just wine, so what? It's just something we do. It's something we do to remind us of something that God has done that should amaze us each and every time we think about it. We sang, my God, why should you die for me? Why would you shed your blood so pure and undefiled? We sang of our undeservedness. I don't know how you felt 
as you sang that line, if you remember in that song, for such a worm as I. Do we think, oh, I'm not a worm. I'm not a slave. You are a slave. You deserve condemnation. But God in his mercy, he makes you a slave of Christ and he gives us grace. So as we go forward, as we go out, let us be, as J.C. Ryle says, people who have peace of conscience because we know that we are secure in Christ but a war within as we seek to put to death sin in our life by the power of the Spirit, to do what he calls us in Romans 6.19. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slave to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness. That was before, that's not now. So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. Brothers and sisters, we have been set free. And at the same time, we have been enslaved to the one in whose service is perfect freedom. Obedience to him is what we were made for. And as we live the life by the power of that spirit, the one that he is caused to dwell as, as we live that life in obedience to him, we will truly live. Let's pray.